Kurt Wagner's mom's who got it going on. Kurt Wagner's mom's who got it going on. Kurt, can I come over after school? Kurt, after school, do you wanna hang out by the pool? By the pool, because I'm not the little mutant that I used to be. Big Daddy's all grown up now, Kurt, can't you see? Kurt's bombs who got it going on. It's all I wanted away for so long. Kurt, can't you see? You're not the one for me. I know it's not wrong. I'm in love with Kurt's moms. Oh, hi. Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Starting early. Starting real early. Can't wait. Can't wait a moment longer. Thanks you to hopping in here live. I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. If you can hear me, if you can see me, let me know here. If you're here on the live stream, let me know in the chat. Confirm that everything is working as it should be. Today, we are going to talk about some new comic books. Immortal X-Men number 17, X-Men Blue Origins number 1. A little bit about Miss Marvel the New Mutant number 4. We are also going to talk about the best superhero comics of 2023, Marvel canceling Al Ewing's Avengers Inc. after only five issues, and uh, maybe a little X-Men talk. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We got, listen, the next issue of X-Men Red, number 18, is the last of the series, as is the next issue of Immortal X-Men, issue number 18. By the end of the year, the two best X-Men books are done. Now, things are transitioning, there's going to be, those writers are going to be writing additional things, but like, it's the end of an era. It's ending. It's happening. It's really coming to a close. Get ready. Get ready. So get ready. Right? You know that one? Okay. Get in your questions. Get in your thoughts. Let's hear it here in the chat. Otherwise, like I said, listen, I got hot pizza waiting upstairs. I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can. I don't want to have to be here a moment longer than necessary <laughs> so I can get to the pizza. Oh, no. Tyler says, sounds like you're using your internal computer mic, not your headphones. That's a classic faux pas. Let's see. Is that true? Might not be. You never know. I literally never know. Let's see. I do know how to check for this, though. System sound. Uh, microphone. What about now? Uh-oh. Ruh-roh. Listen. There are professionals. Okay. We're back. I think we're back. This should be right. Okay. No, I was muting on purpose, everyone. I did that intentionally. Uh, so does that mean... No, I don't know. Sometimes I'm singing before I go live, and I'm never sure. It, I'm, it, I definitely go live after the singing. I'm confident. But on the off chance that the singing happened before I went live, does that mean it was on the wrong mic? <laughs> Did I blow out the speakers, belting some tunes on the wrong microphone? Oh, what a pro. What a pro. This is why, this is why when people are like, oh, you know, YouTubers uh, are awful and Comics YouTube is the worst and folks are like, no, there's one good channel and it's somebody who really likes comics and enjoys dissecting them and chatting about them, uh, but he's super underrated. He's very underrated. He's off of everyone's radar. Um, you should go check him out. This is why when people say that, I'm like, hold your horses. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to live stream, and I don't really know how to make videos. I actually do have two videos coming uh, in the next uh, month. Two real videos. Imagine that. They're, it's going to happen. One of them you're going to like. One of them you're not going to watch. But one of them you're going to really enjoy. Okay? All right. I think we're working now. This is why I need you here live with me on now Thursday streams. We switch from Thursdays. No, I'm not normally starting this early. I'm starting early today because I want to finish and I want to go upstairs and get pizza. Um, but we are, we are today going to talk about Nightcrawler's New Moms, The End of Krakoa, Best Superhero Comics of 2023, 
Um, I'm seeing here in the chat, Dave is the one good channel. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate I appreciate you saying that unprompted. Uh, I, I don't know that that's inaccurate. I do, I do like a number of people who also have YouTube channels. For example, Doug Smith has done all the video edits for every Comic Book Herald video this year. His channel is for every kind of geek. He is so much better at making videos than I am. It's not even funny, <laughs> like, like light years beyond what I could ever hope to achieve. That is for every kind of geek. Obviously, I am a supporter of Ernie at Blurred Without Fear. Easily uh, uh, one of my favorites out there doing it. Really love talking to Ernie and, and seeing his takes on comics. Also, like, has a big channel and gave a little channel a chance, which is something I super appreciate. Um, Beyond that, I like Owen from Owen Likes Comics. Really nice guy. Might be listening. Obviously, have to say it because of that. But <laughs> super nice guy. Uh, but th those are the three, right? That's three. And I don't know that we can... Is there anyone else we could add? Is it? Can we get higher than three? And then I'll, I'll add myself. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not real cocky about anything. Um, I'm very mid at most things I do. <laughs> but one thing I know I can do is communicate about comic books. That is a thing I can do. I'm seeing comic tropes here in the chat. I like comic tropes a lot. Clearly does a very good job. Uh, I am spiteful towards comic tropes. Listen, we're just airing grievances today. Tis the season. Tis the festivus for the rest of us. We're going to air our grievances. My spitefulness towards comics tropes is I have twice tried to engage with them <laughs> to either guest on My Marvelous Year or these are the kinds of things you don't say out loud. These are the kinds of things you don't share into a microphone. Um, and, and recently he tweeted, <laughs> why am I doing this? He tweeted that, uh, that he needed some people to talk to about Invincible. And I'm like, what timing? What incredible timing? We're recording Convincible here on My Marvelous Year. Uh, we are the Convincible is the podcast where I'm trying to convince my co-host that Invincible is actually a good top, a comic. He's like, I'm looking for folks who have YouTube channels who like Invincible. I'm like, I listen, you're literally asking for me. So I chatted in. I'm like, hey, we're doing that. Um, the clear implication being I'd love to participate. Never hear anything back. Never hear. Listen, is this a classic case of the big guy stomping on the little guy or... Is it a classic case of him not knowing who I am and rightfully moving on? <laughs> we may never know. I will definitely never know because we're never going to interact. Clearly, it's not meant to be. Should I be spiteful and say he's not a good YouTube channel because of that? No, obviously not. He's very good. I'm seeing open mic will say nerd sync is good. I, yeah, I've, I've gathered that. I don't really know that one. Um, Near Mint Condition from Jano Cosmic, a popular popular channel amongst the the omnibus and collector set definitely a, a tinge of jealousy with near mint collection condition right it's who who could watch that channel and like see like oh man marvel sends them the straight up omnibuses months in advance and not just be jealous <laughs> how is that possible i mean really i am ruled by spite and jealousy and um and just very unhealthy negative mental states. <laughs> I think I think we can all see. But okay, so it sounds like there's uh, a lot of good YouTubers talking about comics, but you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't necessarily know that from the stuff that blows up, right? If I if I published a video this weekend talking about Nightcrawler's new moms and I just put woke in the title it would be my most viewed video of all time. That is some lame YouTube algorithm nonsense. Nonsense. Um, yeah, I should, you know what? I'm, I'm being very facetious and very cynical in talking about other people who make content. There are a lot of people who do genuinely very good work. I am also not the target audience. Um, I have moved well out of being the target audience for folks talking about comics. My top comics or my top podcasts that I listened to this last year, we just got our Spotify rap data back in. Uh, there are no comics podcasts in there except for my own. 
because I like to listen to Zach and Charlotte when I'm not on the episode. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's all, it's all sports. It's all basketball. And then I really like the watch, uh, the ringer network show. Uh, those, those are my top ones from this year. Speaking of, of open my eagle, what had happened was I got to do, I got to do a binge. I got to do a catch up on Questlove. I like that's, that's the kind of podcast entertainment I want. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't watch really YouTube. Uh, for comic stuff, I just, I spend that time reading comic books, you know, and I'm not even saying that insultingly. People are like, oh, nobody reads comics. They just watch YouTube. That's problem. That's culture. I'm not talking about any of you. I think pretty much everybody who watches my stuff is, uh, is pretty invested in act. Like, listen, I'm not explaining anything. How it's been, how many minutes has it been? I haven't explained a single thing of, uh, <laughs> about comics, you know, uh, clearly you're not here to actually, actually dissect plot. If you're here watching me, that would, that would be a mistake. I would recommend you don't. Uh, come to me for that. I don't want to do that. That's not fun. Um, it's not enjoyable. Anyone can recap a plot. Wikipedia is is a nice resource. Okay. Where were we? Where were we? Y'all got me on a tangent. Um, okay. Let's talk about a little news first, and then we'll go into the comics. Uh, I need your help. I need your help. Your challenge for the, po- for the podcast and the video today is what are the best superhero comics of 2023? So I've been uh, more checked out probably on the superhero genre than uh, than ever, maybe, in my entire life. Um, obviously, I'm keeping up with X-Men stuff, but Marvel, you know, has has felt in a malaise for much of the year. And I, I really haven't been caught up on DC with the exception of, like, just creators and stuff that I thought sounded super interesting. I haven't kept up with, like, their ongoing verse probably in, like, two years. But I did a DC Universe Infinite Ultra binge over Thanksgiving – it turns out I missed some pretty good stuff. <laughs> turns out there's some pretty good superhero comics out there. Uh, things that stood out to me from this binge were the Philip Kennedy Johnson written World World Saga uh, on Superman. Every a lot of people have been saying this is great. I think the degree I, I really enjoyed it. Let me say there, I really enjoyed it. I didn't want to stop reading. I think the degree to which people are calling it like some sort of unprecedented instant classic is overstated. They should probably be paying Greg Pak royalties, you know, for World War Hulk and uh, maybe maybe a side royalty to Hickman for the Black Order, you know, but uh, but it's a real good Superman comic. I enjoyed it um, a fair amount. I had a good time with that. Also, G. Willow Wilson written and Marcio Takara on art, uh, uh, Poison Ivy. It's fantastic. Okay, so that brings me to, I finally was like, you know what, I, I bet we can actually make a good best superhero comics of 2023 list. Here's what I've got so far. I need your help deciding what is missing, what should I read or catch up on that should be included in this list. My number 12 right now is on the fence. I'm probably not going to include it, but the number 12 on my list is The Penguin, the Tom King written Penguin. I was really hooked on these first three issues. I did not expect to care about this book at all. Um, King's Batman stuff for me is the least of what he's capable of. I think, uh, I, I just don't think it's a fantastic fit. Um, but I, I really enjoy a lot of other Tom King works. I read like the first, like five or six issues, a danger street. And I need to go back to that. I need to catch up on that. Cause it was, it was interesting. It was strange. Um, I wasn't sure it was working now where there's like 10 or 11 out. I gotta, I gotta catch up on that puppy. Number 11, the current 2023 action comics written by Philip Kennedy Johnson continues to be good, continues to be engaging. I've got a mortal Thor. At number 10, through the first four issues, it's like, all right, the fourth one really sold me. I'm in. Number nine, Fantastic Four by Ryan North and company. That's been good. Number eight, Children of the Vault, miniseries written by Dennis Camp. Awesome. Number seven, Venom by Al Ewing. Number six, The New Birds of Prey. The New Birds of Prey is very good. If there were more than three issues out, it'd probably be a lot higher on this list. Number five, Detective Comics, written by Rom V, with just a host of some of the best and superhero art. Number four, Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto Daredevil, which ended in August. So it did end, you know, midway through the year, but that's enough. That's enough to get us, get us on the list. It ended strong. I enjoyed the way that ended. Number three, the ones we talk about in here all the time, Immortal X-Men. My number one is X-Men Red, which will probably come as a surprise to nobody who has listened to me previously. My number two is a shocker to everyone, including myself, because I only added it today after asking yesterday if there were good DC Black Label books out this year, Riddler Year One 
Riddler Year One. I was very skeptical, extremely skeptical of this book being worth my time. I, I didn't even read a, a single issue of it until yesterday. Uh, David Mann, who has contributed, a really good critic, has contributed to Comic Book Herald in the past, said, uh, no, it's really good. He said, that, that's that's a good black label book. So I read it last night. Paul Dano, the actor who played the Riddler in the Matt Reeves Batman, which I very much enjoyed, with art by Steven Subich. Uh, yeah, covered by Bill Sienkiewicz, at least for the first issue. It's really flipping good. It is really damn good. I did not expect Riddler Year One to be genuinely good. I think the coolest thing about it, there's a few cool things about it, but the coolest thing about it that I've enjoyed so far is Paul Dano has a, a surprise, and, you know, with here in the collaboration with uh, with Subich, has a really surprising knack for pacing, a surprising just innate knack for letting strangeness creep in for not being very uh, prescriptive with narrative, you know, for letting a lot of ambiguity into the comic. I, like, I'm kind of blown away by by how successfully this works. A Riddler Year One book is not a book I probably would have read. And, you know, I just mentioned, you know, the Tom King bad stuff, but like, you know, he just did a, a Riddler, what, uh, One Bad Day with Mitch Rods, and they're a fantastic creative team. And that book, like, won some awards. And stuff like that. But like Riddler Year One smokes that out of the water. Absolutely smokes it. Uh, is that an expression? Smoked out of the water? Said, can you do that? What is that? You just get the water real hot and the fish jump right out into your boat? That's how we do it up in Wisconsin. You, you go up north up there. You get you get some fish in the boat. You can bring them back. You grill them. Get a northern. You know, you just you gotta, you just cut it yourself. Oh, sure. It's, it's real fun. It's real good. Um, but you smoke them out of the water. That's all you do up there in Wisconsin, right? So uh, Riddler Year One. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's my number two of the year. But let me know, are there superhero comics that I'm missing? Okay. On my, on my to consider list, I basically got everything else that came out this year. My to consider of books I just straight up haven't touched. Red Goblin, Superman Lost, the PKJ Hulk, uh, Blade by Brian Edward Hill, and Waller vs. Wildstorm. Those are the five that I just straight up haven't touched. The one I know I'm going to add is Miracle Man by Gaming in Buckingham. I realized I forgot to put it on the list. Uh, but anyway. Anyway. Things are good. Things are good. I'm happy. I had too much caffeine today. I'm going to feel it later. But right now, I'm, I'm feeling it in a good way. This is like the 20-minute window where I'm feeling it in a good way. And I'm going to regret it so much later. <laughs> get in your questions. Get in your thoughts. Get in your superhero comics. I want to know what else I should read so I can make this list. Let's talk... Let's talk about what came out today, and then we'll come back to news. What came out the past couple weeks, because we were busy thanking givings. Last week, we didn't talk about Immortal X-Men number 17. I'm going to start there. Okay. Professor X still got a little sinister in him. Do you have a little sinister in you? Would you like one? Still got it in his brain. Uh, the thing that I love the most about Professor X still having a little Mr. Sinister in him is it's not from Sins of Sinister. It's from something I called out back when we did our Mike Carey binge early in the Krakoa saga and Kieran Gillen doing his homework, pulling in the Project Black Womb days. Mr. Sinister has had a rent-free space in Charlie Ballgame's head for years. Four years. And finally, finally, it is coming back to roost. Mr. A depressed Mr. Sinister is in his consciousness. Somehow this Sinister, like, knows everything that is happening and has happened around them with the current Sinister, but a fantastic use of continuity. It makes a ton of sense. The conversations between Professor X and Sinister are pretty glorious, especially this beaten down Sinister, but who also is, like, still out to get his, and Charlie just has to call him on that constantly. Sinister will never change. He will never be the hero. That is not a beat Karen Gillan is going to play. One thing I found interesting in their conversation, Mr. Sinister is convinced, absolutely, that the Dominion is a Sinister. There is no doubt, from what we've been told now, via Sinister that the Dominion is a sinister. Now, I think in past live streams and episodes, we've talked about how, you know, you could you could kind of guess, like, could it be a Destiny? Could it be Moira? Who could it possibly be? 
Kieran is telling us it's a sinister. We should maybe believe him, <laughs> but I'm still kind of skeptical because it's coming. The words are coming from Mr. Sinister, right? So it's, it is just a little hard to know if that is like a certainty or not. If it is, Mother Righteous is certainly the leading candidate. We haven't seen a thing from Orbis Stellaris since Sins of Sinister. Uh, the uh, the Orcus one is a, you know, is a lame-o. Mother Righteous is the one pulling all the strings. She's pulling strings here with Jean. She's stabbing Destiny. She's walking Jean somewhere through the hot white hot room. I mean, every indication is the Dominion is Mother Righteous, which I'm not super into, you know? I'm not, I still, I prefer the idea that it's a sinister from a different Moira lifeline. I think that'd be way cooler. Um, but we obviously don't actually know. Get in your theories, get in your thoughts. Do you believe sinister when he says the Dominion is a sinister? Do you think it could be someone else? Do you think it's Mother Righteous? Do you think it is a different sinister? I do want to hear it. It's all very compelling. It's all very compelling. I am, I'm disappointed it's like, on one hand, it's good that this thing's going to end, but I'm disappointed Immortal and X-Men Red are going to be gone. These are very good comic books. Like I said, they are my first and third favorite superhero comics of the year. They have been excellent X-Men comics. I think X-Men Red is going to be easier to revisit, I think, removed from the Krakoa era. You know, Immortal is so tied to everything going on. I think X-Men Red is going to be the one that in five years people are like, this is a must-read X-Men run, um, you know, combined with Ewing Sword. But like these these books are excellent. I enjoy having them. I will be sad to see them go. Uh, let's see. I'm seeing here the theory that it's the OG Essex. Oh, so the original pre-clone Essex somehow got to Dominionhood. That's a dark horse. I like, I like the fact that that's a Dark Horse candidate. I have no idea how you make that work. Banksy says, a multiversal sinister, perhaps. We have This era has done nothing with the multiverse. I feel like you cannot introduce it at this point. It is too late. That, to me, would feel like a cop-out, I think, um, because they have not played in that space at all. James S. says, the Dominion is Xavier sinister. So now this new combo of Xavier with a sinister in his brain. That is kind of a cool twist too. And honestly, Charlie Ballgame reaching Dominionhood, but with this little sinister in his head, it kind of fits a little better. Like, like Charlie overseeing everything kind of fits with the Krakow narrative in X-Men more than a sinister does. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. That, that to me, feels like an interesting twist. Um, let's see. Birdnerd says, I'd agree. Dominion will be sinister-controlled Xavier. That's pretty cool. I think I'm in on this theory. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. If it's that, you're all going to have to take a bow. Your no prizes will be in the mail, but we've got a few, few months to figure it out. Question here in the chat coming in. Thoughts on the theory of Gil Simone? <laughs> presumably you mean Gail, Gail Simone heading X-Men. Uh, I don't think it's really a theory. Um, she was announced as she's going to be writing some X-Men comic in the free comic day special in May. I'm, we don't know that that means she's going to be writing the flagship X-Men book, but that has been how Marvel has used free comic days, you know, over the last several years. Uh, so the indication would certainly be that Gail Simone is leading an X-Men or like an uncanny X-Men type book. Uh, it's not a franchise she worked on. It's a pick I would not have expected from Marvel and Tom Brevoort. So I'm interested in that regard. Um, Gail Simone has written some excellent DC comics. Birds of Prey is very good. Uh, probably my favorite of hers is Secret Six, Infinite Crisis era. Secret Six is awesome. I really enjoy that book. I don't know that there are any Marvel books by Simone that I'm in love with. Um, there's some weird Agent X stuff. There was a Domino miniseries not that long ago that was like fine, but not super special. I mean, it is a 
it's a curious choice. It's not like Simone doesn't have the chops. It's not like she hasn't had the experience writing all manner of superheroes. I mean, she did some work at Lion Forge, like building a universe. Like she can do it. Um, I, I, I'm in, I'm more interested than I am excited. You know, it doesn't have for me the effect of obviously like a Hickman coming to the franchise the first go round. You know, and I think part of that too is like, to my mind, my favorite Simone works now are are pretty far on the rearview mirror. So, to me, that's not incredibly dissimilar than getting you know another like two thousands creator. Like I would like someone who feels a little fresher and maybe has a newer perspective. But I mean, I can't discount the fact that like, you know, a woman writing uncanny X-Men would be something the franchise has not done. They didn't, they have not had a woman leading this franchise. Um, that's not for nothing. And I would be very interested in, in how it was going to play out. I am mildly skeptical that, that that is how Marvel would announce like who's writing X-Men. <laughs> you know, um, but just by having their name attached to the free comic book day issue in May, it is very possible that Simone is writing. It's something, it was something to do with Jubilee, right? Like she might be involved. She might be writing a Jubilee mini. Maybe she's writing some Deadpool stuff. You know what I mean? Like it might be something on the periphery and not necessarily driving the ship. Um, because as the driver, that's like a, it's a surprising pick, I guess is all. I don't know that it's a bad pick, but it's a surprising pick. So I'm a little skeptical that that's actually what's happening here. I suspect we're going to we're gonna find out more in the coming months. You know what we haven't found out yet? Remember when Marvel announced that new X, literally a series called New X-Men launching in 2024? They announced that like two months ago. <laughs> and then just straight up have never addressed what that is, who's writing it. Like, there's a lot that we still don't know about what the next era of X-Men is. So I would say like, don't, don't uh, assume, don't assume that, that we know quite what is coming here. Uh, Cause I don't think we do. Okay. What other questions do we got? What are thoughts? Anything? Okay. So that, that was Immortal X-Men, obviously good as always. Uh, comics that came out today or no yesterday, cause we do these on Thursdays now. So you all can actually have read the comics. Uh, Miss Marvel, the new mutant number four. My main takeaway from this Miss Marvel series is it's extremely cool that Amon Vellani is staying on to co-write this character after owning the character and like being everyone's favorite thing about uh you know the Miss Marvel Disney show obviously but but the Marvels like like every comment I've seen about the Marvels from anyone with any kind of sense is whatever they think about the movie and then but Amon Vellani was great as Kamal Khan, <laughs> right? I love Amon Vellani in that role. I love the Khans. I love that family. I love those characters. Um, it's cool. It's a good thing. Like I said, like I'm inherently skeptical of big time Hollywood actors coming in to do comics, you know? Uh, but we do have in recent years, like several examples of Hollywood folks coming in and like, really taking it seriously. And I, you know, you got Keanu Reeves on Berserker. You got Paul Dano on Riddler year one, which I just celebrated and Amon Vellani doing the Miss Marvel stuff. I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, you can be skeptical of that that's fine. But then I think you give it a shot. Those are three examples where they're like very committed to the process and to doing it well. So I think it's cool that she's going to keep writing it. There is going to be a Miss Marvel mini, uh, the mutant menace, coming in 2024. These books aren't like incredibly exciting to me. It still drives me absolutely up a wall that this is where Omega Sentinel has been shuttled off to <laughs> after being the most interesting development in the entirety of Inferno. Now uh, Omega Sentinel is just reduced to weird robot villain in a Miss Marvel miniseries. Like, like this, listen, if there's one criticism, I will obviously keep coming back to of the X era post post Hickman, it is all the most interesting villains got turned into very boring, flat, evil robots, you know? So that, that is a disappointment. Um, but that's, that's not the, the creative team of Miss Marvel, the new mutants fault necessarily. So, okay. Those are my Miss Marvel thoughts. Uh, X-Men blue origins. Number one, this is the big one that came out yesterday. 
Uh, this is the book that was very clearly going to establish the long-running, more or less known, but apparently not by some, uh, alternate canon that Mystique and Destiny were in fact the intended parents of Nightcrawler, that this is a storyline that Chris Claremont could not get past the censors, aka Jim Shooter and Marvel Editorial in the 80s. Um, and and now Cy Spurrier is charged with actually doing that and in the process also retconning one of the most notorious stories of the 2000s of the aughts, the Chuck Austin written The Draco, which made Nightcrawler's dad the literal demon Azazel. There are five, I would say five stories from the aughts that are the most notorious Marvel comics of that era, okay? The Draco, Spider-Man Sins Past, One More Day, also Spider-Man, Ultimatum, and Spider-Man Reign, which isn't nearly as bad as those other four, but it has radioactive semen, and people tend to fixate on that, <laughs> okay? So two of the five comics have been retconned in the last four years. Now, Sins Past was retconned during the end of the Nick Spencer run on Amazing Spider-Man, and now the Draco has been retconned here in the pages of X-Men Blue Origins. Instead of Azazel being Nightcrawler's father, he was, in fact, um, uh, birthed by Mystique and Destiny, where Destiny, Irene Adler, actually delivered the child, okay? One of those notorious books is getting a sequel, Spider-Man Reigns. There's going to be Spider-Man Reign 2. One of them just died. Ultimatum died. I think we lost Ultimatum along the way when the Ultimate Universe ended. The only one, of those five notorious Marvel stories that remains, Spider-Man One More Day. Spider-Man One More Day hanging on going strong. And listen, I'm not even saying those are the five worst. Like there are some real WTF stuff. <laughs> like Marvel is literally my least favorite comic of all time. Uh, Trouble is also very bad from that era. But like those are the five like continuity things from the aughts that get the most attention, the Draco is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, probably probably the most notorious arc of the Chuck, mm -hmm. Chuck Austin, the must, much maligned Austin X-Men. Uh, and, you know, now it's been retconned. And it was retconned fairly thoroughly here by Spurrier. I think it kind of works. Uh, I'm not, it's kind of a hard book to write. You know, it, well, it's a very hard book to write, but like, it's very hard to put out a single issue and the entire purpose is to retcon, you know, is to is to change continuity, right? The entire purpose is to update something from the past that we know to be true. I just you're it's it's hard to tell a story that way. I think I think Spurrier kind of does the best you can in that regard. Um, he tries to find, and it is it it's connected very heavily to obviously what he's been doing in the pages of Uncanny Spider Man, uh, which is the Nightcrawler themed book. Um, right. So it's, it's not like it's not a tie into that. It is. Uh, but it is, you know, as I would never hand this to be someone and be like, you know, this is a great comic. It is an important comic because of continuity ramifications. But obviously you're limiting your audience um, for people who care about that. The big thing here I will say is there's no good reason to be opposed to this. <laughs> like, like anyone who's real upset about this. Uh, I would challenge you to look inside and, and figure out why that is. You know, why do you feel that way? There's really no good reason to be opposed to this. Like I said, this is a decades-in-the-making development. I, I was surprised that there were people who were surprised, <laughs> you know, which is one of those things that happens often when you're too deep in the weeds on comics. Um, and, and then you realize, no, not everyone spends all of their free time doing this. Fair enough. I think as always, I'm really thinking about updating my tagline from enjoy the comics to read more comics, you cowards. Uh, I don't know what y'all think of that. I, I may make the switch sometime here in the near future, but I do understand that some people like to do other things. There's not a good reason to be opposed to this. Uh, this is X-Men. You can do all the wild stuff that you want. Spurrier takes more care, frankly, than I expected to really work out the ins and outs of the Draco and to make it fit within, like, like Mystique still has sex with and hooks up with Azazel, 
Like they, he didn't just brush over that. Like that's very much a part of what is discussed in X-Men Blue Origins. The secret history though, is that Mystique was, you know, Destiny was there and on the side, uh, Mystique got her pregnant and she gave birth to Kurt Wagner, the Nightcrawler, right? So to the folks pretending to be Azazel stands, <laughs> just stop it, just stop it. Okay, uh, Joshua here in the comments says, I like the fake Azazel fans being mad. Well, he's currently getting his best moment he's ever had in Dark X-Men. That is the beautiful irony of this, is the thinly masked bigotry <laughs> of these newfound Azazel heads popping up and being like, they have desecrated my beloved Satan daddy. <laughs> And, and jumping in to talk about all the problems with retconning Azazel. You do not care about Azazel. And if you do, congratulations. Tell me everything you know about Dark X-Men, the series that is giving him the most attention he's gotten in over a decade. Okay, listen, one thing I have learned in the experience of doing Comic Book Herald is more folks love a comic than you think more folks hate a comic than you think. I have learned this for many, many years. This applies to every character as well. Azazel is the exception. <laughs> Azazel is the exception. There are not suddenly hundreds of even, even dozens of Azazel fans who need to step up and shout about how that character has gotten a raw deal in Marvel's update here to the continuity. It, it has never been a better time to be an Azazel fan. It has literally never been a better time to be in Azazel head, <laughs> okay? You should be eating. Just enjoy it. Enjoy Dark X-Men. This moment will not come again. I promise you. Uh, so I, I, there was someone yelling in the comments here before the stream, and they have been promptly banned because they were very weird about it, um, but they were yelling about the, the fury at Mystique having been made a lesbian in this issue. <laughs> Their, their bigotry is so off base, they don't even know what the change is. They don't even know what the update is, okay? Mystique and Destiny have been married for, uh, canonically, at least since House and Powers, right? Since X-Men number six, when Mystique very famously screamed, I want my wife back, one of the more emotionally resonant moments of the Krakoa era. They have been in fans heads, a couple for, again, decades upon decades. <laughs> okay. Uh, but definitely for years now. So that is not new. That should not have surprised you. Uh, anyone who is taking tremendous exception with the anatomy and how this could possibly work. Again, I would remind you, sir, this is an X-Men, uh, but also like size Superior takes care to try to answer those questions uh, because he knows that is the pushback that is going to come from fandom who uh, often, more often than not, is simply made very uncomfortable by homosexuality, and in that discomfort, they cling suddenly to needing very realistic anatomical uh, descriptors of how this could be possible. How is a pregnancy between two uh, otherwise perceived women possible? Uh, listen, Mystique can change shapes. She's blue. She is a master fighter. One time she ruled the nation of Madripoor. She is a master spy. There's a lot in Mystique's continuity that does not feel realistic. And we roll with it because we're reading X-Men comics. And suddenly, suddenly, we need all of this realism. Suddenly, we need the science to back up the pregnancy. I don't think so. I don't think so. There's something else you're mad about uh, and you're hiding it behind something else. So I don't know if there's many of you here in, in the comments uh, and in the chat who feel that way. If you've listened to me before, you know how I feel about it. But like I said, there's no genuine reason to be opposed to this development. Cementing it as canon, there is value in that. Uh, I don't know that it was executed personally. Uh, there's one page in particular that I think is effective, and I have seen a fair amount of commentary from uh, queer individuals saying that they felt seen for a time, and that is valuable and great, and I love that they have that. I've seen similar commentary saying that it feels very preachy, very ham-fisted, um, very, very much like someone who hasn't experienced these things, trying to explain them to someone else. There's a danger in that. It's a difficult line to walk. Uh, I think, again, it is a challenge, too, where then, you, you know, you get behind the scenes, 
and behind the curtain of the fiction of it all, and you look at, well, who gets to tell these stories? And is Marvel editorial empowering the right people to tell stories of perspectives that actually reflect the creators themselves? I think it's so challenging with this X-Men era because on one hand, it's the best it's ever been in terms of queer representation within the X office. And on the other hand, it's like you still run into these these areas where it doesn't feel like it's matching or like the right people are necessarily in the room. Um, I, again, it's not issues I can speak to on a personal level, but I do understand those arguments. It's good. Like, it's well done. It's better executed than I thought. I think Spurrier tames... I mean, initially, he tames nothing. <laughs> initially, he comes in hot with this super wild uh, baby nightcrawler ghost narrator. Uh, just like, I don't know why that was even a part of this story. <laughs> it was very strange. But then I think he tames some of his wilder inclinations uh, and, and you know, really digs into the history and just says, okay, here's how it would have happened. Here's how we make everything work and make sense and make it so nightcrawler is officially the child of Mystique and Destiny. Now, I will say, the thing that didn't sit right, the thing that didn't sit right with me was sprinkling in uh, more than a heaping of domestic abuse. I could have used 100% less of this. I don't know why that's in the comic at all. Um, Mystique at one point holds a gun to Destiny's head, which taken on its own kind of felt in character, but then there's like a Looney Tunes-esque panel where Mystique, or like a, like a Homer Simpson Bart thing, where Mystique has her hands around Destiny's throat. That made me very uncomfortable. I have not seen anyone talking about this. Um, and it, it's not just like, oh, comics should not make me uncomfortable, but they should not make me uncomfortable and never discuss it. They should not make me uncomfortable and never address that fact. I don't think of the love between Mystique and Destiny, which is, I mean, I think unquestionably the best romance of the entire Krakoa era. Who's even possibly coming for that claim? I guess Sink and uh, Old Woman Laura, right? But that's not as good as Des as Destiny and Mystique. I don't, I don't think of that as a abusive relationship. Um, maybe I'm just like glossing over those moments throughout X-Men history. Right? Maybe because it wasn't canonical, I wasn't paying attention to them. I don't know. Uh, but I thought that was really... I don't know why that's in the comic. That felt like a massive misstep to me. Um, I think it's really damaging. And I think once the hoopla over uh, the fact that they had a child together dies down, I suspect that will be a thing that really hurts this book. You know, the focus of this book is supposed to be the queerness and the love and the child they had together between Mystique and Destiny. And I think by including these scenes where you have Mystique threatening Destiny's life, uh, it, it really damages what's happening there, which is like a whole nother uh, can of worms, right? As far as, like, I'm not saying that sort of thing doesn't happen. Obviously, it does. That's that's. It's, I'm not saying it shouldn't be in comics. If it's in comics, though, you have to address it. I mean, otherwise, you are, you are like I. I guess what I don't totally get is you know Hank Pym in Avengers hit Janet Van Dyne, slapped her. They were I think married at, but separated at the time. Um, that uh, Hank Pym has not basically been an unrecoverable, irredeemable character since then. Many characters have tried. It has never quite worked. Uh, to me, I was like, are we are we setting up Mystique for that? Is, is anyone even aware of that? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who's like fixating on this. But it felt needless and not additive and not of a piece with what I thought was otherwise fairly effective. Um, I don't know what else to say about it than that. Not good. Not good. Did not appreciate that being in the comic. I don't know why they did that. Okay. Getting your thoughts. <laughs> it's a safe space here. Getting your thoughts, getting your comments. I'm going to take a sip of water. Uh, listen, I said I was trying to get out of here. I said I was trying to do this fast. 
and uh, and I still have more to go. So unfortunately, I'm going to take a sip of water and then I will return. Our sponsor today is Half Filled Big Water. Uh, we got no chemicals in this water that I know of, but it doesn't mean they aren't there. Thanks to Big Water for the chemicals that keep us ticking throughout the day. <sighs> That's some good big water. Uh, Banksy says, Mystique is already a villainish murderer, though. She is. She is. Um, but, like, I guess I am able to separate that side of the character from how they treat someone they are in love with. Uh, maybe I'm just doing mental gymnastics. I don't totally know. Like, I, I don't think that every quote-unquote villain should also be a domestic abuser, right? Like you don't, there are other ways to express anger. There are other ways to express that a character is unhappy that are more subtle than a Looney Tunes-esque choking. So I, that doesn't really feel like an excuse that I accept. Um, Vass says, draw the line at making her the Joker. Right, like that is a thing that we hate or should hate about the Joker is his abuse of Harley Quinn. It is a huge part of much of what modern Harley stories have been is, is actually sort of exploring and, and interrogating the toxicity of that relationship, you know? Uh, and that is not a thing that I've personally ever read between Mystique and Destiny. I do not view them as a Joker Harley relationship at all, at all. Um, and it's also like, it's a real thing, right? It's a real problem. And I think to just, and, and you know, in the irony of that being in a book that is addressing real world issues of, of gender fluidity and, and queer relationships, but treating it like it's a, a supernatural, you know, can't be taken seriously comic. Like you kind of can't have it both ways. So I, to me, that's a huge critique. I, that that brought this down several notches in my eyes, um, but I mean, mileage may vary. I'm I, I don't know. Again, I haven't I haven't fully tried to interrogate the thought there. Okay, what else are we can talk about today? Okay, the, some news came out last week. You could argue that I broke it. Um, you can make that case. So Tom Brevoort's newsletter, which is uh, kind of required reading if you're a fan of Marvel Comics, honestly. Um, he he's like very transparent and answers a lot of questions that fans have. And one of the questions that came in was, is Avengers Inc. ending at issue five? I've really been enjoying it. Someone must have seen this. And, uh, and Tom said, yeah, sadly, not enough people are like you. Not enough people enjoyed it. It's done at issue five. Avengers Inc., if you are unfamiliar, is a book written by Al Ewing. It's got art by Leonard Kirk was also on the first Sabretooth mini with Victor Laval. Um, it is a Al Ewing throwback old school Avengers detective story with Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, kind of as our lead detective. You got Vision stuff mixed in. You got a whole host of Marvel Universe mystery mixed in. Through three issues, it is pretty good. <laughs> it's solid, right? Um, it's not like my favorite thing of the year. But, uh, you know, Al Ewing does good work, lo and behold. I actually think it's probably one of his Avengers things that I've enjoyed more. And it's going to be done with five issues. Um, it sucks that, that Marvel has a writer like Al Ewing. I argue in the conversation for the best superhero writer of the last eight years, the only other name that really comes close for the full duration is Tom King, and your mileage may vary there. If I made it since 2018 and we take Mr. Miracle out of the equation, I think it's absolutely Al Ewing. I don't think it's really even close. Best superhero writer of the past five, six years. And Marvel has them on Avengers title, and they're like, yeah, we can't justify publishing this past five issues. That's crazy. That stinks. <laughs> that is bad for comics. Marvel is on a trajectory of short-term thinking begatting more short-term thinking begatting more short-term thinking. It's a day of begatting as we tie into X-Men Blue Origins. And it's just like, 
this is bad for comics. It's bad for Marvel Comics. It's bad for retailers. It's bad for fans. When the ongoing books are dying, everything is suddenly becoming a five-issue mini. Like, for a, there was a stretch. I don't know, circa what? Like, 17, 2018? When DC started rolling out more limited series. It was like five issues and out. And there was a certain appeal on a limited basis to knowing like, oh, there's only so many issues. I know what I'm getting and then I'm done. Like, that's fine. Marvel's doing it now a ton. Like a ton of books are just five. Like Miss Marvel, marketable character. Had a Disney Plus show. Was in a movie. Five issue minis only. Like if you're not in the top, you know, four categories of Marvel books right now, right? If you're on the fringe, it's a rarity that you have any chance to get an ongoing book. And I'm not saying like Marvel should be, like I understand the challenges, right? They, they cannot financially be putting out these loss leader things if no one is buying them. I understand that. But they publish 74,000 comic books every week. <laughs> Like, like, have some quality control. The model sucks. Fans don't enjoy it. No one's enjoying it. I bet the editors don't enjoy it. The only upside to the model of just absolutely flooding the market with nonsense is, I guess, more creators get at bats to make comics. Like, I guess that's an upside for the creative community. But it's like, if you don't have any faith in an Al Ewing Avengers issue sustaining itself past five issues, don't start it. Don't publish it. Why bother? I mean, the crazy thing, too, with the way that this is decided is Marvel looks at the pre-orders for these books to direct retailers, to the retailer market. They don't look at things like trade sales. They don't look at digital sales. This is reportedly, okay? And I don't, listen, I don't work there. Um, they don't look at Marvel Unlimited. Those things should matter. A thing building steam. And the, the crazy thing, specifically with an Al Ewing comic, is Immortal Hulk famously sold more comics as it went. An unheard of thing in comics, but like word of mouth was strong. People were very into uh, Immortal Hulk and word spread, and that book did better. Now they can't keep those trades on the shelf. They cannot publish enough Immortal Hulk to satisfy the market for the collected editions. And I just, I don't, it drives me insane and it has driven me insane for a long time, but I don't get why Marvel's print output is not even like cognizant of the long-term shelf life those comics are going to have in collected editions and on Marvel Unlimited. That, again, I love my comic shop. I love buying print comic books. The habit of going and buying 24 pages of story in floppy magazine format from a specialty retail outlet, a brick and mortar <laughs> store in 2023 is crazy. Nobody does that. I barely go to the grocery store. I haven't left the house today. People, people going, they like, like Macy's can't stay in business. Sears, Sam's Club is closing stores around here. They sell things people need. <laughs> Comic book stores do not. It is an insane behavior. It is one I will never quit. I say this all the time, but being reliant on that metric specifically as to whether or not this book will continue, like I just once want to see editorial conviction and some long-term thinking. But no, it's flooding the market with variant covers because that will give a short-term profit. And then the long-term stuff that could, like this Avengers Inc. run could have gone on to be a classic. By issue 12, you could have everybody saying, Avengers Inc. has been amazing. You got to read this book. And then people go back and they're going to binge it on Marvel Unlimited. But you won't be able to do that now because the book's done in five. You know, it's just, oh, it drives me nuts. It's such a bummer about the current state of, of Marvel. I'm, I'm thinking about digging in more to it. I, I do. I've got in the back of my mind, I've got like a death of the ongoing piece. I'm thinking about pitching, but, uh, but I gotta, I gotta get some more data. 
I gotta get, I gotta do a little more digging into that. But it does, like obviously, it's not news to anyone that relaunches have escalated. Uh, that new number ones have been escalating for the past, you know, fifteen years. But I think the piece of the puzzle that maybe hasn't been articulated as clearly is like a Marvel and a DC might have room for only like twelve ongoing books at a time. Somehow they're publishing eighty. And, you know, of those 12 ongoings, like 75% of them are like, you know, Batman or Spider-Man or I guess X-Men. We have a lot of X-Men comics now too, but not necessarily ongoings. There's a lot of minis right now. So, and I, you know, I think the other piece of this too that bugs me a lot is, okay, if Marvel's really sold on these five issue minis, I'm like, all right, that's how we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to sell a bunch of five issue minis. Okay. Name your favorite five-issue book that wasn't, I mean, I guess even if it was announced as such, it's just not a lot of space to get going. The comics need some room, you know? I'm not saying you can't tell a good story in five to six issues. A lot of creators have, and a lot of creators will continue to. Um, but especially with these kind of like fringe projects, you know? Like, all right, you got five issues to tell the story of Hollow's Eve, our punchline replica from the pages of Spider-Man. Like, not a lot of creators could pull that off. <laughs> it's just, it's like, that is a high degree of difficulty. You know? Anyway, JLLH says, no room to breathe for new stories. But we'll let stories like that Daredevil black suit or Spider-Man reign continue. The, the selection process of what gets a mini right now is really weird as well. And I don't even talk about the flashback stuff. I'm even talking about the legacy books. I'm talking about like the new stuff selection that they make. That's real weird. Real weird stuff. That's why I was like, it was such a, a breath of fresh air to do the DC bench where I was like, oh, like this is a publisher that seems to be stabilizing its ongoing verse in some really positive ways. Action Comics is very good. Detective Comics is very good. Wonder Woman is in a very interesting place <laughs> with Tom King writing it. Um, the Flash with Cy Spurrier is an interesting, like this Dawn of DC relaunch feels like, okay, there's some stability. We got new stuff launching. We still have Black Label, which has the potential to deliver something like a Riddler year one. Uh, I like where, you know, and I've, I've kind of resisted this idea that like DC's on top now and Marvel is the one that is struggling for a while, kind of in favor of like, well, actually I think both both are really struggling. Um, it does seem like DC's in a much healthier position right now, to me at least. But, I, I mean, financially, that might not be the case. You know, because again, Marvel is like constantly playing this game of playing the numbers, of flooding the system with variants and like producing the, the you know, cash flow that justifies them as the number one publisher in the world, but not producing the stories that long-term are going to have people coming back and obsessing over Marvel comics, the ways I've been doing, you know, the past 15 years of my life. So yeah. 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 That's what's happening. Anyway, if you've been enjoying Avengers Inc and you just heard that it's ending in five issues, I'm sorry to have to break that news. To you. <laughs> Cause it does kind of stink. Okay. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts and take one more sip and then we'll jump to what's good. Ugh. Okay. What's good? Should we talk about that? Let's talk about that. Ice Cream Man. This is my favorite comic book. It's been my favorite comic for like five years. And I feel like I don't talk about it enough. If you're not reading Ice Cream Man, please rectify that mistake. As urgently as you can. Ice Cream Man is fantastic. It's written by W. Maxwell Prince. We got art by Martin Morazzo. We got letters, or colors rather by Chris O'Halloran. It has run for 37 published issues. Uh, it's been running since, what, 2018? Yep, January 2018. It has been my favorite comic since at least probably late 2018 and definitely 2019 forward. It is straight up my favorite book. I think W. Maxwell Prince is the most underrated comic book writer of the last five years. Not enough people are celebrating the fact that this is a creator who, with Martin Morazzo and O'Halloran, 
comes into every issue and treats it like a chance to write the best possible comic you'll read that year. Nobody takes the single issue more seriously. Every approach is different. It attempts something inventive. Sometimes it doesn't work as well, but it is always a different flavor. And it works way more often than not. This is such a great creative team. Ice Cream Man continues to excel. Speaking of W. Maxwell Prince written books that excel, Swan Songs. Swan Songs is a six-issue limited series. It is Prince and just a murderer's row of artistic talent. Honest, like, listen, if the X-Men office is like, what artist should we get? Just get everyone who was on Swan Songs. Martin Simmons, Casper Wingard, Felipe Andrade, uh, uh, Caitlin Yardsky. I don't know. I don't know who the artist of issue number five is. Never heard of him. Then you got Martin Razo on issue number six. But, uh, oh man, this book is good. Every, every issue of these six, of the six, are looking at like an ending. So the first one's like apocalypse stuff. End of the world, right? The second one is the end of a marriage. And it's a divorced couple, but they, it's it's like, <laughs> but it's fun. Um, and they go into like various states of mortal combat as they contemplate the ending of their relationship. Uh, Prince is a very, sometimes nihilistic writer, sometimes depressing writer, but he has a very subtle sense of humor um, and a playfulness and a willingness to, again, explore the comic form that is just like, I, I don't see anyone else doing this and definitely not doing it as well. Uh, both of these books are excellent. They're a couple of the best of the year, but man, you got to read this stuff. If you're not reading it, like this is what I, this is why print comics should exist. I talked about what an insane behavior that is. This is why they exist. Go to your comic shop, pick up Ice Cream Man, pick up Swan Songs. They're so, so, so worth it. Okay, that's what was good this week. Any final questions, any final thoughts? I'll answer them now. Cousin Marcus asks, post Hoxpox, what are the tier one single issues of the Krakoa era? I've been thinking about doing a video about this. Um, so I'm going to struggle to do it off the top of my head. But X-Men number six, X-Men number four. Um, I'm jumping ahead to whenever Omega Sentinel reveals her time travel stuff. I think that's Inferno number three. The Hour of Magneto, the X-Men Red issue post-Judgment Day, I think has to be in there. Uh, Sword number one, I remember as being just spectacular. What else? What else would you put on this list? I guess the, the first, the first Hellfire Gala for sure, maybe the most recent, I think. Um, would you put any single issue of Immortal? There's got to be one that really stands out. The question is, which one is it? The Destiny one was issue number three. That one was really cool. Uh, what else? I bet there's another issue of Immortal that I'm forgetting. I got I to gotta go through this and do this. This actually sounds like kind of a fun experiment. So what I'm doing right now is we talked about this on a previous live stream. I'm doing the the top 10. I'm giving you 10 collected editions to fast track your way through the most essential stuff of the Krico era. That's going to be my next video. That'll probably come out this weekend. Um, so it's going to be 10 collected editions. Somebody's like, hey, I read Hoxpox. I fell off. I want to come and read The the Fall, The Rise of the Powerhouse of X. Uh, I'm going to give you 10, 10 books you can fast track that in. That's going to be fun. Um, Cousin Marcus says, Immortal X-Men number 10, the professor issue with the sinister reveal. That's a really good one too. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of immortal contenders in there. What am I missing between the Hickman X Men and Inferno? Are there any standout single issues like Hellions? I don't know that Hellions would have a standout single issue. You know, um, I don't know that any of the giant size X Men stuff that Hickman did would fall into this category. What else? I'm missing something. I'm sure. Sword number three was the manifold focus story. Christopher Schmidt says that was cool. That was cool as hell. So, I mean, so right now we got a lot of Hickman. We got a lot of Gillen. We got a lot of Ewing. I got the Doug and Hellfire Gallows. Oh, the return to the vault stuff. X-Men number nine. See, but the problem is like, I don't want to make a list and just have it be 10 Hickman issues. <laughs> you know, um, like who, who else could we get in on the party? Does any, does any of Laval's Sabretooth 
hold up on a single issue level quite to that degree? I don't know. It's funny. I was reading, uh, so I, like I said, I'm making a video for the first time in ages. And I went back and I looked at, um, like one of the last videos, not one of the last videos I made, but just, I was looking at how I used to do it. And I found the video I made for, uh, the X deaths of Wolverine number two, <laughs> which is, which is Moira on the run. She's still got her warlock arm. Y'all, y'all remember the at the end of Inferno, Doug Ramsey gave Moira a warlock arm because her arm gets cut off. Is this what happens? She loses an arm for Mystique and Destiny, I think. Doug gives her a replacement warlock arm. And then in the span of two issues of X Deaths of Wolverine, Moira cuts off the warlock arm and, uh, and cauterizes it before she turns herself into a robot. <laughs> she had a warlock arm for like maybe 48 hours. And then that plot point was literally cut off, <laughs> never to be dealt with again. Uh, but I did, I saw, I wrote in the comments of X Deaths of Wolverine number two that I was excited about where the book was going and I was happy to have it. Times have changed. <laughs> Times did change. Listen, I was trying to be positive. I was trying to be, I was trying to be real positive for all of you because I knew Hickman leaving was going to kill <laughs> a lot of what we loved, but I didn't want to show that. I was trying to hold it in, be the father that you all needed. And, and now, now I regret that greatly. <laughs> all right. I think that's going to do it. We'll end it. Should we add a new segment? We'll end on regrets and some, <laughs> some of our saddest moments. I think we could do it. Thanks everyone for joining. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Um, next week, we're going to maybe be here, maybe not. If there's news, yes. I, the comic slate didn't look especially interesting. But then the, the following week, we're going to have plenty to talk about. So thanks, y'all, for listening. Appreciate you being here. I'm Dave. You can find all my stuff at Comic Book Herald. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>